It's the More Than Medicine Podcast with Dr. Chung. Hello and welcome to episode number seven of the More Than Medicine Podcast. Thank you for joining me for today's episode on the topic of something that we hopefully do every night, that is sleep. Now, a lot of my patients have trouble with sleep, and I'm hoping that this episode will be of value to help them to both fall asleep more quickly and achieve higher quality sleep. A quick disclaimer, everything I talk about on this episode is general advice, and if you have specific problems, you should bring them to your general practitioner or health professional for further guidance. Before we go into the topic, I'd like to recap the four elements of the framework for a happy, healthy life as per the More Than Medicine model. If you recall, it's a simple acronym N-triple-M. N standing for nutrition, nutrition being the things that you eat and drink throughout the day. And most importantly, the habits and the psychology that you form around these things so that you make it easier for you to make good decisions and more difficult to make the wrong decisions. The first M stands for movement. Movement being daily consistent movement with the right mechanics. It's not about doing one workout a week, although that's a start. It's about doing some form of movement every day as part of your regular routine to keep the muscles and the joints strong and protect the organs within your body. The second M stands for mindset. Mindset is the psychology behind how you see the world. And we discussed ways of improving this on episode number four, in particular, speaking to a accredited psychologist or doing your own research, learning the ways that you see the world and how to potentially change them. And the final M of the model stands for motivation. Motivation being the purpose or the reasoning behind each of your actions. In episode number five, we spoke about the change between going from a micro or short-term view of motivations to a macro or more longer-term view of motivations. So let's get on with today's topic, which is sleep. I'd like to structure today's episode on a background on sleep, mainly what the purpose of sleep is and how much sleep we should be getting, and then a bit more of a breakdown on the most common issue with sleep, that being insomnia, and some ways to work with and improve our sleep quality. So, why do we need to lay down in bed or on a flat surface every single night? for six to eight to 10 hours a night. What's the reason for this? It seems like quite a waste of time, particularly with our busy lives, the way that they are. The way I'd like you to understand sleep is that it's a bit like a reset button, but also a way of the body and the mind to regenerate itself from the work of the day. So there are two things going on. One is the physical side of things, When we're sleeping, we're not working our tissues, the muscles, the joints, the organs, as much as when we're awake. And this allows them to relax and to restore themselves. Things tend to slow down and soften 
while we're asleep. This is why if you've had a good night's sleep, you'll often wake up feeling that physical sensation of refreshment and your muscles will tend to be more loose and relaxed from a good night's sleep. Arguably, the more important side of sleep though is actually its effect on our nervous system and our psychological system. Being asleep allows us to process the events from the day, but also from the past. And it's very important, particularly when children or young adults are learning things that we sleep because it allows those memories from the day to imprint themselves into our nervous system. Furthermore, we all know how difficult life can get if we haven't had a few nights of good sleep and its effect on our mental health and our mood. A big part of this is because it's inherently stressful laying awake at nighttime. But also, when we're asleep, it allows our brains and our nervous system to rebalance those neurotransmitters that are within our brain and our nervous system. Something I discussed in a bit more detail in episode number six about antidepressants. Essentially, when you spend a day without having had a good sleep, you're almost in a state of sleep hunger. You're gonna be running low on certain neurotransmitters as well as building up in other chemicals within your body that haven't been able to be cleared out by a good night's sleep. So now we know a little bit more about why we need to sleep. How much sleep should we be getting? Now you may have heard the old standard answer of about eight hours of sleep per night. And while this is ideal, the actual answer is a little bit more complicated. Every single person is gonna have a different level of sleep requirement based on their age, their genetics, and also what kind of things you've done during the day. So one person may need eight hours of sleep generally, but if they've had a very, very busy day, both physically and mentally, they may actually need an extra half to one hour of sleep for that night or a couple of nights afterwards. My general answer to patients when they ask me this question is, if you feel like you're not getting enough sleep, you're probably right. But the general rule is it's gonna be somewhere between six to eight, eight and a half hours for most people. And you'll probably know the right amount for you if you've ever been able to sleep in or have natural sleep without being woken by an alarm. Now we're gonna move on to a problem that a lot of patients come to see me about, difficulty falling asleep, also known as insomnia. I like to categorize insomnia in three different categories and they have slightly different approaches to each of them. The most common form is what we call onset insomnia. That's someone who can't fall asleep. They're laying awake for hours on end, tossing and turning until they're finally exhausted enough that they fall asleep, only to wake up a few hours later because they have to get up for the next day of work. The second type of insomnia is what I call maintenance insomnia. This is where the person doesn't really have too much trouble falling asleep, but they tend to wake up constantly throughout the night. And often once they wake up, it's difficult for them to fall back asleep. 
the final category is a little bit different from the other two forms of insomnia, but it's called restless sleep. And that's where you fall asleep okay, and you may wake up a few times in the middle of the night, but more often than not, you'll wake up feeling just as tired, if not more tired from a night's sleep than before you went to bed. Let's tackle the first topic of onset insomnia first, because this is the most common one that I see. So one of the most important things that I try to teach my patients around onset insomnia is this concept of sleep hygiene. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's really about the last 30 to maybe 60 minutes before you plan to go to bed. Think of the process of falling asleep, like landing a plane. During the day, you've been up in the clouds at a certain altitude, rushing from location A to location B to location C. And eventually you need to arrive at your destination, which is going to be hopefully sleep. You can't expect the plane to suddenly drop out of the sky and end up safely at the hangar or the terminal without a landing process. And that requires a few checklists, things like certain preparation, the descent, getting the wheels out and eventually landing the plane. Falling asleep is pretty similar. You need a period of time before you go to bed to wind down. And this is a time where you want to be doing things that promote that feeling of relaxation, drowsiness and sleepiness. Things that are helpful, I found, are having a hot shower, maybe fixing yourself a warm drink, perhaps doing some stretches, or even following a guided audio meditation, which at the end of this podcast, I'm going to put a link to one that I quite like and I think might be helpful for you. You also want to avoid certain things. So, for example, you probably don't want to be having a cup of coffee or a cup of strong tea just before you go to sleep. You might want to avoid particularly bright screens, especially exciting or thrilling things on your phone or on the television. If you can do this for the half hour before you go to bed, you give yourself the best chance of feeling drowsy enough that when you lay down in bed, you're likely to nod off fairly quickly. The other concept that's important to understand is one called sleep latency. Now, sleep latency stands for the amount of time between putting your head down on the pillow and actually achieving the goal of falling asleep or being unconscious. In people who have onset insomnia, this sleep latency can sometimes drag on for hours. And you can understand that you're not going to feel very rested even if you eventually do fall asleep. Some common traps around sleep latency revolve around sleeping too early for what your body clock is ready for. We get told, go to sleep early, have a good night's rest. And that's important and very useful if you can fall asleep fairly quickly after laying down in bed. The issue is if you're putting your head down on the pillow at say nine o'clock at night, 
but then you're staying awake for another five or six hours until 3 a.m. in the morning, you're not really doing yourself any favors. And in fact, you're probably gonna become more exhausted from all that tossing and turning in bed as opposed to going to sleep at a time that would fit with your body clock. So I'm actually going to recommend something that seems counterintuitive, which is figure out how long it normally takes you to fall asleep, approximately, and then give yourself that time after your normal sleep time before you try to go to bed. And in the hour or two prior to that new sleep time, really try your best to keep doing those wind down activities that we spoke about in sleep hygiene. So to give you an example of one of my patients, she was putting her head down on the pillow at around 9.30 each night, hoping that she could fall asleep for an early wake up for her work the next morning. But she wouldn't be able to actually fall asleep till about one or two o'clock in the morning. So instead, what I told her to try is, don't even try to fall asleep until about 12.30, one o'clock in the morning. Now in that meantime, you shouldn't be doing activities that are going to build up your energy levels or make you feel more uh, agitated or uh, busy. But she would do some reading, some stretching, and eventually at around one o'clock, she could barely keep her eyes open. Now this sounds like the perfect example. However, once she put her head down on the pillow, all of a sudden, her mind would start racing about all the things she'd need to do the next day. And this is the second step of how to compact, combat sleep latency. So once your head is on the pillow, it's very normal for you to start to feel more agitated or anxious because you don't have anything to distract you with once you're laying in bed. So it can be worth downloading or listening to some sort of guided audio relaxation tape. But my other rule of thumb is if you've put your head down on the pillow and you haven't fallen asleep within about half an hour to 45 minutes, it's better off getting out of bed and continuing your bedtime routine of winding down until you're drowsy and then trying again. You're not doing yourself any favors by laying in bed, fretting about falling asleep. And don't worry about missing out on sleep time. You weren't sleeping anyway, so you may as well give yourself the best chance of actually falling asleep fairly quickly. What this technique of getting out of bed when you can't sleep allows you to do is to separate the feeling of being busy or agitated with lying in bed. What you want to do in the longer run is to create an association between putting your head down on the pillow and feeling drowsy and nodding off to sleep fairly quickly. And the only way to do that is to only lay in bed once you're at this stage. So just to recap, make sure you're not going to bed too early and that you figure out how long it normally takes you to fall asleep and only go to bed close to that time. And number two, if you can't fall asleep, 
you should get out of bed within about 30 to 45 minutes. Go back to your wind down routine until you start to feel drowsy and then go back to bed only when you feel sleepy. Now, following this advice is not going to fix your insomnia in one or two nights. It's going to take a concerted effort and a level of consistency. But if you can follow the principles of sleep hygiene, sleep latency, and avoiding laying in bed for prolonged periods of time, you'll start to retrain your mind to associate laying down in bed with becoming drowsy and falling asleep. The last part of this technique, which is important, is having a consistent wake-up time. If you go to sleep quite late and have a very short or poor amount of sleep that night, it's still better to wake up at the normal time and not sleep in than to try and catch up on a few hours and sleep longer that morning. The reason is, if you do that, you're just pushing your drowsy time in the evening a few hours later into the morning. The other thing that's important is that our brains work on a rhythm that is guided by exposure to bright light, and in particular, sunlight. So if you can get some bright light, whether from the sun or from some artificial light, onto your eyes early in the morning when you wake up, you're going to reset your brain so that in about 14 to 16 hours afterwards, you're going to get a surge of those sleepy hormones that are supposed to come up at that time to help you to go to sleep that night. This is really important. And it's also one of the reasons why we as medical practitioners don't recommend people to look at bright lights, particularly from a screen later in the evening, because it tends to push off this surge of hormones till later in the day. Now we're going to discuss the second type of insomnia, maintenance insomnia, which is actually quite similar to onset insomnia, except the issue is not with falling asleep, but with being able to fall back asleep in the middle of the night. Often people are waking up and then tossing and turning for multiple hours in the dead of the night before they fall back asleep again. And the solution is similar to what I just described in the onset insomnia section, which is that if you can't fall asleep within half an hour in the middle of the night, I know it can be hard, but you've got to get out of bed. You've got to start some sort of wind down routine until you feel drowsy again, and then you can try to go back to sleep at that point. And you might need to rinse and repeat this for a few times over many evenings, before it starts to become more simple and easier to fall back asleep. It's important to speak with your doctor to make sure that there aren't any physical reasons for you waking up in the middle of the night. For example, uh, needing to get up to go to the toilet all the time or uh, having some issue with your thyroid, for example, which causes you to overheat and uh, find it difficult to stay asleep. The other thing that can definitely cause maintenance insomnia is a level of anxiety and stress. When we fall asleep, as we're unpacking all the things from the day and the days before, it can bring up things that we've been suppressing throughout the day. And that can pull us out of a stage of sleepiness into wakefulness. So 
working on your stress and ways to manage it will help with that. I'm going to save the third topic of restless sleep for another podcast, and I'm going to cover a few other sleep related issues such as obstructive sleep apnea in that episode as well. The final thing I want to cover is the topic of sleeping medications. It's very common for patients to come to me asking for sleep medications because of their difficulties with insomnia. Now, there are two types of sleep medications. One is something that's prescribed and the other is non-prescribed. The most common non-prescribed sleep medications are things like alcohol or marijuana. And these drugs, they can knock you out, but often they will cause poor quality sleep. And more importantly, you're going to end up with a level of dependency on these substances, particularly if you have to use them every night to help you sleep. More importantly, both of these substances have other health implications. Both tend to increase your overall anxiety and they have negative physical effects, both on your liver and your lungs, respectively. The prescribed forms of sleep medications are in a similar boat to the non-prescribed ones. Yes, they will make you drowsy, and yes, they will, in the short term, help you fall asleep and potentially stay asleep. The issue, though, is that if you use them in the long term, you're going to end up with similar problems around dependence and also something we call tolerance. That being the dose that you started off with initially ends up not being enough and you need to keep taking more and more of the same medication to get a similar effect. In the long run, it's much better to work on things like your sleep hygiene, your sleep latency, and also any underlying mental health issues that are causing sleep issues. I understand that's not easy, but sometimes it's important to establish longer term habits rather than a quick fix so that you can fall asleep easily and painlessly and be confident of your ability of having a good night's sleep without the reliance on drugs, medications, or substances. Well, I hope that you found some of the information in this podcast helpful and that you can take some of that into your nighttime routine to help improve the quality of your sleep. In the show notes, I'm going to attach a link to a guided audio meditation that is uh, very short, about 10 minutes, and can be quite helpful for people who are finding it difficult to relax their body before sleep. So thanks for joining me for episode number seven of the More Than Medicine podcast, and I hope to join you next time, and please take care. It's the More Than Medicine podcast with Dr. Chuck.